This is Howard Anderson, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking with John Gleiser, CIO at Partners Healthcare System in Boston. John recently completed about 11 months of work as Senior Advisor to the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology at the Department of Health and Human Services. Thanks so much for joining us today, John. My pleasure. Please tell us a little bit about why you chose to become an advisor at ONC and some of the main projects you worked on while you were there. Well, I think it was clear to me, Howard, as it was clear to virtually everybody in this industry, that the ERA legislation would, would contain a, a significant stimulus for electronic health records along with providing funding to the Office of the National Coordinator that dwarfed uh, any funding that it received before. So it was, I was quite realized that there was going to be an opportunity and a likelihood that we would engage in significant change in this industry. So it was back in December of uh, the 2008 uh, where I contacted, you know, Rob Kalodner at the time and said, listen, uh, given the likelihood of legislative passing, I'd be interested in working with you guys to help frame both the regulations and rules that come or result from legislation, but also the various programs uh, that would obviously put in place to help the adoption of electronic health records be accelerated in this country. So that was of interest to them, uh, and Partners was gracious enough to say that is of interest to us, and we're willing to grant you a, essentially half time uh, to be devoted to working with the folks in D.C. to putting all this in play. So I was along that path with Rob uh, when David Blumenthal was announced as being the person who would assume the role of the Office of the National Coordinator, and I've obviously known David for uh, for quite a while, uh, both back to his Brigham and Women's Hospital days, but also his more uh, recent days at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And David was pleased too. So I, I decided to do this because both parties were interested in having me do this and obviously because we were engaged or about to be engaged in a major change in the way this industry functions. So it would just be neat. It would be very exciting to be in the middle of all this. So what I wound up doing, I was an advisor. I was not a federal employee and worked a lot with the federal advisory committees, the HIT Standards Committee and the HIT Policy Committee to help them get up and running and to help them size up their initial uh, wave of challenges, the definition or at least a proposed definition for meaningful use, or also looking at the certification process and how that might work along with framing some of the initial standards that are required by statute to be in place uh, by the end of calendar year 2009. So I worked a lot with those committees and their various work groups to help them uh, come to a set of recommendations which formed the backbone of a lot of the rules and regulations that were released in uh, early January of this year. And then uh, also spent time with uh, David Blumenthal and his folks, uh, helping them to sort of think through some of the grant and contract programs, whether regional extension centers or health information exchanges or the areas of research that became the base for the SHARP program. So it was a, a lot of discussions and a lot of contributions to both the uh, contents of the rules but also the specifics of some of the grant and contract programs. In working with the ONC, which is carrying out the mandates of the High Tech Act, what did you learn about the major privacy and security challenges facing healthcare organizations as they ramp up their use of electronic health records? Well, I think there's, there are two, certainly two broad categories of challenges. One is, and this is particularly true of privacy, it can be really hard to get a national consensus on privacy. There are people who are very strong ideas on both ends of the spectrum, and forging a consensus is very difficult. At times, 
because there's a lot of emotion in the conversation at times because there are very visceral beliefs and at times because there's not a, there's a real absence of fact that you would say here are the facts and hence you can circle around a truth uh, that is incontestable here. A lot of values go into this and people's beliefs. So one of the major challenges is just getting agreement on what should the policies be, uh, what are some of the procedures and processes and technologies that ought to be in place. So that's one major challenge is this real diversity of often strongly held uh, positions. The other challenge reflects the sheer diversity that exists within healthcare. You have very large organizations such as, you know, Massachusetts General Hospital, uh, but you also have solo practitioners and very small community access hospitals. So arriving at a set of technology requirements or standards requirements or regulatory requirements that traverse that range well uh, is really very difficult to do. Things that might be handleable by the Massachusetts General are just overwhelming for the solo practitioner. Things that might work for the solo practitioner might be regarded as insufficient uh, by the larger organizations. So I think there in this area, and it's true I think in all of the regulatory areas, but particularly in this, is getting that right balance is really, really hard to do. And an example can be recent conversations to your partners where how much do you spend on security? It's a good question. Now, how do you know when you're spending too much and how do you know when you're spending too little? Uh, good question there too. To a degree, the law or the regulations will give you an example of a floor, uh, but how far beyond that you go is a very subjective exercise and one is often assessing risk that have got probabilities. Uh, they may not be the largest probability in the world, but when they occur, they're really bad. It's, that can also be a particular challenge. So I think that, you know, Howard, the major challenges were the sort of diversity of opinions and the difficulty of getting a consensus, and also whatever that consensus was, is arriving at one that was practically uh, and, you know, implementable across the sheer range of of sizes of organizations, of types of organizations, of access to IT talent or lack of access to IT talent that exists across the healthcare system in this country. Getting a bit more specific, what advice would you give to hospitals and physician group practices about steps they should be taking now to comply with the High Tech Act's breach notification rule in particular? Well, I think there is a, it's not only the high tech rules, but it's also the state rules. And so we have in Massachusetts some state rules that are uh, more demanding in lots of ways than the, the federal rules. You know, my uh, general sense is above and beyond becoming educated about what some of the requirements are, and education can be forthcoming both through professional societies or state medical societies, and soon uh, the regional extension centers obviously will have a role in helping people become educated about, you know, why these rules and regulations are in place. Uh, what some of the options are for implementing them, what some of the options are for some of the technology uh, to be put into place. But I would certainly have number one is getting educated about the range of options that are that exist. I think the second thing to realize is that um, it is difficult and will be a challenge to balance, you know, the time and the cost of these things and, and the protections that they introduce with a lot of the, you know, stressful workflow demands that exist within most provider organizations. So I just want to be aware that there is not a magic answer here for implementing a lot of these uh, things. 
I think the third thing to be aware of as part of this is that, you know, you could argue that a lot of the HIPAA regulations just really weren't enforced, and so people felt, well, you know, if I do it, I do it. If I don't, I don't. Uh, but the consequences of not doing it are not all that uh, significant. And I think that's really changing. And so we're seeing a lot more CMS interest in following up on audits. Uh, we're lucky to see more Office of Civil Rights interest in following up, uh, let alone with whatever the states decide to do or some of the accrediting organizations to decide to do. And given all of that, that says that this is, you got to learn about it and you ought to understand that it's difficult and you ought to understand that it's real and there are a bunch of whole reasons for doing this, some of which are compliance with regulation, but also some of which are just to protect the asset. Uh, that is now used to support a range of important and critical uh, clinical operations and care delivery activities that are going on within your organization. But I would also, given all of that, I would start with some of the simpler things, and the simpler things range from you know, changing passwords. Uh, the simpler things uh, have to do with encrypting uh, disk drives uh, that you know on a lot of portable technologies, etc. Uh, and some of the simple things uh, are making sure that you've at least done some assessment of what are the risks. If I were to lose my data today, what would I do? How would I go about that? Um, and you know, do I have uh, reasonable protections of people coming in and trying or fish or whatever else they might be trying to do? And making sure that I covered a number of the fundamentals. Uh, because regulations aside, uh, what you don't want to do is, is to wake up someday with a busy clinic and find out that the systems aren't functioning or to wake up and find that some data has been compromised and possibly extracted uh, and you have not only an angry set of patients but an angry set of regulators uh, looking at you. So to learn all of that kind of stuff um, and start with some of the basics and get some of the basics taken care of realizing that there is a curve of maturation one can go through, uh, but one is not going to achieve that uh, instantaneously. It's going to take a little bit of time to uh, go up the curve, but one also needs to go up the curve and not presume that this will go away and be largely ignored. Based on the list of major breaches reported to federal regulators so far, it appears that the most common threat is lost or stolen devices or documents rather than outside hackers. Does that surprise you, and what are the implications for risk management strategies? Well, I think one of the things that's coming out of all this is actually getting better data about what the risks really are and what the uh, sort of level of threat prevalence really exists here. And, you know, we can infer from other industries or big uh, sensational stories about uh, people attempting to hack the power grid from uh, China or whatever might happen to be. So, you know, before there have been a lot of anecdotes, vignettes, some quite sensational, uh, which can lead one to believe that that is really the predominant threat and the predominant challenge out here. But obviously now we're getting data about what the real challenges and threats are. So in some ways, I guess it's not surprising. Um, no more so than it is not surprising that there may be more lives lost on any particular weekend by um, you know, drunk driving than there are by airplane crashes, although when airplane crashes happen, they're quite spectacular and draw the headlines. Uh, and so we may see a similar phenomenon of the discrepancy between the sensational nature of something and the sort of pragmatic, low-level uh, occurrence of something. So, and the fact that uh, personal devices, portable devices, laptops, iPhones, iPads, you know, need not have an eye in front of it to be portable, along with thumb drives, that their, their use is growing and becoming quite extensive for all kinds of really good reasons. 
and they do get lost, uh, and people do steal them, and it's a lot easier to steal some of that or to lose some of that uh, portable technology than it is to go in and have someone heist a server uh, out of a server room or to try to crack into uh, some of the hospital sites. I also suspect that if what you are is a hacker and want to go off and do malicious damage, hospitals aren't really number one on your list. There are other targets for which there's more, quote, hacker glory, whether it's the NSA or the CIA or which is a greater potential upside if one is stealing credit card information uh, and financial information, et cetera. So I uh, guess it's one is we're learning about the data, about what's really going on. The prevalence of this sort of portable stuff is not surprising. Uh, and the fact that uh, if you are a hacker, there are more attractive and interesting targets other than a two-person physician group or a small hospital. Well, given that so many of the breaches have involved lost or stolen um laptops, uh, hard drives, and such. What would be your advice to ways to prevent uh, those kind of breaches? Well, I think encrypt it. Um, and that's, you know, there are, you know, technologies that are available to do that. Uh, sometimes they're a little squirrely. Uh, sometimes they don't work very well with much older equipment. Uh, but the it, there clearly is an ability to uh, buy encryption technology that encrypts hard drives and encrypts thumb drives, et cetera. And I think that's probably the best asset and the best step you can possibly take. Uh, if nothing else, even if you lose it and the likelihood that someone will be able to decrypt it is, is lower or at least have access to it, uh, to the degree one is worried about a punitive action on the part of the state or the federal government, the likelihood that that will occur has been lessened because you took the step. Uh, that was a prudent uh, and responsible step to uh, ensure to the degree that you were capable uh, that the information is not compromised. Well, let's talk a little bit about your uh, priorities now that you're back at Partners full-time. What are you working on in the area of risk management and security this year, and why are those the most important tasks to tackle right now? Well, part of it is is responding to the federal and to the state regulations. So we are in the middle of a encrypt all the hard drives and all the thumb drives that we can. We're a particular challenge, uh, certainly at Partners, but I suspect it's true in other organizations too, is actually we don't have a full inventory of all the assets for which encryption should be implied. And often because a lot of folks buy their own stuff, uh, come on in and we're not aware of what they have bought. Uh, we have people who come and go, whether they're investigators or contract nurses or physicians who you know, are, are infrequent admitters and, and we don't see them on any particular day. But number one is is going through and making sure that we encrypt uh, those disk drives and, and to a very large degree that is driven by state breach notification regulations that have been put in place and are now in effect across the Commonwealth. Uh, we're also looking and beginning the process of encrypting email uh, that has uh, confidential information and the, uh, the core part of that is the patient uh, information, but also can include business information. So making sure that there is a secure way of exchanging email when there is sensitive uh, information as part of it. Uh, those are the major two things, along with the ensuring that we have appropriate policies and procedures across the board. We, some of those are quite old. Uh, some of those have not been updated uh, recently uh, and in some cases are non-existent. So to make sure that we have uh, those things that are up and running and are fairly current. Uh, it's a tight budget year, but we're exploring adding additional staff in the security and the privacy realm for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, and that is a, while everybody understands the need to do that in a tight budget year, that's uh, like any uh, proposal to add more staff, and draw some scrutiny and a level of attention. So we're spending some time paying attention to that and worrying about that. 
Uh, we also are finding that um, our data centers are we're outgrowing them, uh, along with, like many, many organizations, an increased dependency on the technology, uh, looking at a bunch of data center operations which or changes to uh, those, uh, which is not only a complicated financial uh, proposition because they're not cheap, but also have to accommodate both the growth, but increasingly the you know better levels of disaster recovery uh, because of our sheer dependence on the technology to deliver care on any given day. So, and I you know finding that the encryption stuff is hard, and it is you know it's hard for people to get used to uh, sending email, and a lot of our docs use email with their patients. Uh, they're finding challenging and sort of quote annoying because it's an additional set of extra steps that they have to go through. But anyway, in our particular realm, it is a security. It is both the encryption of of data, uh, encryption of email, uh, strengthening of policies and procedures to make sure they're up to date and reflect the various laws and the maturity of this particular field, but also dealing with disaster recovery slash a new data center. Very good. Thanks very much, John. We've been talking today with John Glazer, Vice President and CIO at Partners Healthcare System. This is Howard Anderson of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.